coming up in this episode. Pitching is good for it's good for getting that feedback uh, on what you're doing, but also the question is always interesting that the judges ask because it just says, okay, so you're asking that question because you haven't understood or I haven't explained well enough, or, you know, I wasn't clear enough. So it kind of gives you ways to refine what you're talking about for next time. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I find really helpful. And then also it's like, it gives you an insight into what's actually important to them. But yeah, and some of the most memorable ways of, of passing information from one person to, from yourself to someone else and, and for them to retain them is to put it into a narrative base, you know, hence the, the, what we were saying about pitching. That's why we can't stand uh, showboating or boasting, right? Because there's, like, there's no... You haven't given me a reason to like you. Tell me how you struggled first and then I will root for you for, for what you've managed to achieve. Like that's how people are. With Sainsbury's promotional plan, and this is what Hugh, my friend, was saying, you've got to do six weeks on, six weeks off, six weeks on, six weeks off for the whole year. And that's what they expect. So you expect your brand to be in discount every other six weeks. Wow. The Founders Unplugged podcast, hosted by Greg McCallum. Raw, unedited conversations with entrepreneurs and startup founders. Okay. Okay, good. Fingers crossed it doesn't topple over every five minutes. But anyway, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. I'm just um, I'm in Brighton. I've just been for a walk on the seafront. That was lovely. Oh, lovely. oh, what are you doing in Brighton? My neck of the woods. Um, I'm house sitting for a cat. For a cat? Oh, well, right. Not not a cat that owns a house that you're house sitting for, but you're house sitting to look after a cat, presumably. Uh, right. Okay. <laughs> Although it is Brighton, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, yeah, you're just down the road from me. I'm in Eastbourne. That's where I live. So, uh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not far from each other. If I'd had uh, had a, a podcasting studio set up, I would have invited you over. But uh, maybe uh, next maybe next time. Yeah. yeah that, that's the dream. Um, so uh, yeah, how have things been with um, with Hoopsie and uh, and everything else since we last uh, caught up? Um, I was in Milan last week. Um, did a pitch competition. All right. Didn't get through to the finals, which was a bit annoying. But it was an odd competition um, because um, four of the five companies in the final had nine employees or more, and I kind of felt. Right. Like well, it's a bit of an unfair playing field when you think what you can yeah. choose nine people versus one pe- person. And I wasn't the only person there on my like solo founder. Yeah. Um, it was a bit odd, but my brother who lives in Italy, him and his wife said the Italians that they tend to fix it. So it's right. not <laughs> just like right. Um, Good yeah. to know for next time. Yeah. Uh, um, basically. Yeah, they were just like the whoever organised it would want it to be a certain outcome, and that's how they kind of would have. Right, right. I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot of events like that in the UK as well, right? <laughs> to be honest, but uh, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah, okay. so disappointing. But um. But a trip to Italy, though. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that was like, my brother lives in Turin, so I stayed with her with him. And my niece is called Lara, named after me, and she's lovely. And we had a lovely time, so that was good. Really nice spending time with her. But um, yeah, otherwise, just I've been feeling a bit flat, to be honest. I just feel like I'm not getting anywhere. I feel like there's not many wins happening, and it's just I just feel like I need a win. I got turned down by Sainsbury's a couple of weeks ago on really dumb reasons, um, and then yeah still trying to raise it's just hard mm. you know how it goes up and down i do and look we can get into that a little bit and maybe um 
you know explore that if you're if you're open to to it because i think it's important for people to hear about that um and you know it happens to all of us myself included you know i, I had a week like that to be honest last week was quite a tough one for me and it is it's ups and downs and um you know that's why any small win is like it's huge you know and i don't think people appreciate that unless they're in in this space that you know you could you can run up to someone and be like oh yeah, this just happened and it can be really insignificant and someone's just like uh, you know your friends or whatever be like okay <laughs> it's a very insignificant thing but but that you know for us it's it's huge right so um but before before we jump into all of that um that there's only a little bit of structure they have in this entire thing <laughs> and and that's just right at the beginning so just for those listening and watching um if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and and your, your business um and on, while you're talking on the screen i'll share your profile on linkedin and, and the website for the business and um and then and then yeah we can explore that maybe a little bit more how does that sound okay, yeah sure. okay go go ahead hi my name's lara i'm the founder of hoopsie so um hoopsie is an environmentally friendly pregnancy test so a midstream test that you wee on made from 99 percent paper and 99% plastic free. So um, we have been selling in the UK since July last year. Um, I started the business in end of 2021. Um, so starting to get into retailers, um, selling online, and we've got a free online fertility community as well. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about us. Yeah, and I remember this really catching my attention because of, of well, for a lot of reasons, obviously. But um, which I'll, I'll maybe explain a bit more in a moment. But yeah, let's go back to what you were just saying then about Sainsbury's. So what happened there? Um, so I had a meeting with the buyer. Um, he seemed really enthusiastic at the time. I said to him, "Look, I'm really keen to get into Sainsbury's. If there's anything, of course, yeah." Once I've, he wanted me to do um, a forecast for um discounts for the next calendar next like year from march if we went in store in march and i when i sent it back i said look can you let me know if there's anything that needs changing because i'm really keen to do this and i'm happy to tweak stuff and um anyway he came back to me eventually like about i don't know three weeks later after i folded him up and saying um we're not going to take your product because we think it looks too different to the current plastic tests out there which it doesn't um and no one has had an issue uh, like me to um, consumers the second reason was um that you don't you don't haven't got your carbon footprint worked out for your supply chain and it's like no we haven't and we had already spoken about that and i said but the thing is that clear blue shipped from china as well so really you can take that out of the equation it's just look at the product mm. um and then the third reason was the we don't think the brand's doing enough to support women on their journey and i said we've got a free online fertility community like no other brand has that mm. so it was it very was very odd yeah all, yeah. all but like things Sainsbury's that, lost you know i mean it could you know i'm assuming you're talking with other other retailers so you know there's um there's, there's other opportunities, so they've missed theirs, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we've been talking with um, Boots and Holden Barrett, but mm. it's it just seems to be it it, it the it depends on the buyer. The buyer yeah. care factor on sustainability is pretty low, mm. but 
And even though, you know, all these surveys say 70% of people will buy a sustainable option if it was available, if the buyer doesn't put it on the shelf, they don't even have the choice. They don't even know it exists. And mm. pregnancy tests are one of those things where the first time you buy it, you probably buy it in a retail store because either you're in a panic, oh my God, period hasn't come, am I pregnant? Or you're like, okay, we're going to start trying. And the first place you probably think to go is go to Boots or Superdrug or somewhere on your weekly shop. Mm, so, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely spot on. We've, we went through that exact same thing. Yeah. And obviously we're, we're a bit biased because we literally have Asda across the road from us. Oh, okay, um, yeah. yeah, as well as Boots. It's like we're really, literally across the road. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's like it makes sense to just do that during your, your weekly or monthly shop, right? Yeah. And then and then it seems to be like the, after they've done the first purchase in real life, then they might go online and purchase because then they've had a look. I think it's one of those things if you haven't bought before, you want to look at them and not not that you literally touch them, but you read mm. the pattern, which one you want. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, so that's why it's so important, I think, for us to get into retail stores. But it's um, yeah, it's challenging. And I try. It was interesting with the Sainsbury's buyer because. Um, there's this thing called scope three, which is all about reducing carbon emissions, which lots of, in fact, all the big retailers have signed up to. Mm. But it means is that they agree to reduce their emissions and they're judged their emissions for a retailer and not just judged on what happens in their store and their delivery trucks and stuff. But it's also judged on the products they sell. So 85% of their emissions are from products they sell. So that's like my product being shipped from China to their warehouse, those emissions as well as in terms of, and the manufacturing of that product. Mm. It's in their best interests to choose products which are made more sustainably to meet those scope three targets. But when I spoke to the Sainsbury's buyer about it, he didn't even know what scope three was and he's not the only buyer. So a lot of things that are still happening up here at like, you know, board level haven't trickled down to the people right. in the day-to-day -day decisions. I mean, that's the the thing that when we're talking about such, you know, a huge bureaucratic machine, which retail is and so many moving parts and lots of different elements of, you know, introducing legislation and policy and, and regulation and all that. I mean, it, it, it's a very slow moving ship to, to be corrected one way or the other. Right. Um, yeah. but, you know, when something is being introduced like that, which I've never even heard of. What was it called again? Sorry. Scope three. I'll have to look into that. Ne I'd never heard of that either. Um, so I just learned something, which is why I love having these conversations. But um yeah, I mean, it's not surprising to me that it's taking a while to, to trickle down. And 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 it's, it's but it's interesting, though, because of, presumably because of, you know, he was saying about you not having your, your footprint um, sort of nailed down. So, so presumably they still have an extraordinarily long checklist of things that they need to be going through to be compliant, at least in their eyes. But then it could be a year out of date, but they're still going through it. You know what I mean? Which is just insane. So what, what other sort of hoops did you have to jump through to maybe meet these, um, you know, whatever odd criteria did you encounter and so on? Well, it wasn't really. I think the, um, the wanting to know the um, carbon footprint of my supply chain was due to the factor in eco product, not. Right, right. And I ask everyone in some ways brought attention to that onto yourselves by 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 the, by the very nature of the product yeah um but I mean the other thing most of the other I mean most of the other things they do they ask are really it's just all about margin then price discounting I don't know if anyone who hasn't dealt with retail so when you go into the store and you see that something is like 30 percent off mm brand that's paying for that 30% off not the store mm. um so you know you have to work out how are you gonna fund that 
like over the whole 12 months because although Sainsbury's it, yeah, I mean, it's a 350 stores, big customer, but realistically, the revenue from that one customer is not enough to, to sustain a business. It You need more than one customer, but you're hoping that, that that one will, everyone else will topple once they see it's in somewhere, then other places will come on board. So it's, it's crazy that that wouldn't be sustainable as a business model to, to, to end up in, in that many Sainsbury's locations. Well, because pregnancy tests are not exactly fast moving. Mm, yeah. I mean, like, it's interesting when I was talking to Boots, they said the minimum requirement is for new brands is to be selling half to, well, half a unit per store per week. Mm. So it's, it, you know, and so Clear Blue would sell more than that. But realistically, you know, if you think Sainsbury's got 350 stores, they probably have the same similar expectations. So you're selling, what, 175 products a week, packs per week. Mm. So when you start to break it down and then you look at, oh, and then we've got 30% off and then you're giving them 50% margin. And by the time you do all that, mm. it's not. Yeah, tough economics. Why 30% why um, discount, though? Well, they asked for a promotional plan and basically I, I've got a friend, a guy got introduced to me. This is the importance of networking. Mm. Um, I sat next to a guy at a dinner and then he knew a guy that runs a, um, a private equity fund. And then I spoke to him and then he introduced me to this sales guy who's done loads, like built hundred million um, pound um, brands and done a lot of sales with Sainsbury's and Tesco's and all of the big ones and um, he said basically you want to at the start he, he there's there's a certain keywords he's like you need to use such as we we want to invest in the brand and by that you mean you discount the product um, right. rather than spending money on marketing you spend money on discounting the price to get people to try your product because they go oh it's not special I'll try that one for a change mm -hmm. Um, and so he said that 30% is the most you should, well, 33%, the most you should discount to. Because the problem is that once you discount to that level and you've done that in this 12-month period, next year, Sainsbury's will want the same discount. Mm. So you don't shoot yourself in the foot by discounting like to 50% off because then next year you'll completely stuff because they'll be like, well, you could do it last year. Right, right. It's, there's a lot of like psychological mind games you've got to play as well. Mm the actual you know doing business and it's not just about thinking about today and what's going to get sales so with Sainsbury's promotional plan and this is what Hugh my friend was saying you've got to do six weeks on six weeks off six weeks on six weeks off for the whole year and that's what they expect so you expect your brand to be in discount every other six weeks wow mm. crazy I never knew that and, that and that's quite a common thing with brands is it apparently and first yeah. anyway yeah so if I want to wait for something to be discounted in in uh, in Sainsbury's, it's probably going to be in six weeks' time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just wait. If you can last out, you'll, you'll yeah back on. It might not be the offer varies every time, but of course, yeah. Actually, with mine, what I did is I when I did my promotional plan for them, I didn't have anything happening over in the lead up to Christmas right. because I know most babies are born in September, so therefore you're going to be doing your test in January, February. So there's no point pushing tests in november december mm, mm, yeah so you think if it's seasonal you might have breaks you might have to wait longer for your uh, special offer mm, 
That's interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that. That must be an absolute nightmare for for supermarkets to keep track track of as well, constantly changing the prices and so on. Like if that's <laughs> for you know an enormous amount, I mean they must have systems for it, I imagine. But still, it's uh, it sounds like a logistical nightmare. <laughs> well, <laughs> the thing is, it's uh, yeah, I guess it's all done electronically. So what happens is they they product at whatever price you sell to them at and then when it's on special offer they monitor how many products they've sold on special and then they invoice you for the discount that they've already given to customers products that you sold during that period right wow okay well there you go so i've learned a lot already in this conversation so but let's 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 take a step back let's go back a bit to to how you got here in the first place and, and maybe you know recount the journey so as it were so what um because i you know we spoke initially and had a brief brief catch up and you kind of told me a bit about this but refresh my memory because it's been a while what was the the story behind this you know how, how did this come about what was the inspiration so um in 2020 yeah 2021 well 2020 actually um i re suddenly realized that i was 45 and i hadn't found a guy so I was still single and that if I wanted to have a baby um I always thought I'd get married and have children and I did get married but then I got divorced had no children um I just suddenly thought I've got to do this if I want to want to have children I've got to do it so I did in November 2020 I did um uh harvested my eggs to try and get pregnant unfortunately that didn't work um we got one egg but it didn't make it to um blastocyst stage which means it couldn't be put back in as an embryo so then in 2021 um i did ivf and i did two rounds with donor eggs or donor embryos rather and um it was doing all this ivf and trying to get pregnant that i realized just how many pregnancy tests women were using and i joined all these facebook groups and i kept seeing people post photos and it'll be like 10 tests in a row and it'll be like monday at nine monday at six tuesday at 10. Mm. Because when you do IVF, you do the embryo transfer and then you're supposed to wait 10 days before you test. Most people can't wait 10 days and they start testing way earlier, um, which is why it, it was so in my face as to how many tests they were doing. Whereas if you're trying naturally, it's not quite as in your face because you're trying every month, but you you there's a date when you like your period doesn't come and then you start testing is normally how it works. Um, so I was just shocked by, I had no idea how many tests we were using, and I just shocked by the amount of plastic, especially for a test that's literally used for five minutes, and that's plastic. Mm. And I've always kind of been, I don't want to say not super greeny, but I've always, that's always, that's always been a, like, um, a concern of mine, like plastic and recycling and things. Mm. So I just thought, why isn't there a sustainable version of this test? And as I looked into it, I realized that 95% of women prefer the midstream test, so that's the one you wear. And there was no sustainable option. And yet inside all of these plastic cases was a tiny strip test, the same ones that you use when you wear in a cup and you dip it in. And I just thought, well, why don't we just make that strip test bigger? And then it becomes a midstream test. Mm. And so basically that's what I did. I found a manufacturer and worked with them. We developed the test. and yeah launched it last year so it, it was it was quite simple quite it seemed like to me like quite a no-brainer when i got the first product i went seriously is this it is this gonna work <laughs> but, but it's, it's beautifully but you've also i mean you, you're selling yourself a bit short there i think because you've not only just sort of done that you've also come up with some really nice packaging 
a really nice brand to go along with it. Like, there's a lot gone into this. Like, you know, it's not not the case. You just, you know, go said right, remove the remove the plastic, and there we go. Make this a bit bigger. Like, there's, you know, very clearly just looking at the website and the and the products themselves. You put a lot into it, and um, and it shows. You know, um, so so from that point, then once you come up with, you know, you got the product in your hands for the first time, then then what was your go to market sort of strategy? I know we we sort of, you know, just a moment ago we were talking about where you are now, but but you know, you went direct to consumer initially, right? And and so how were you going about that? Well, the first thing was thinking of the brand name, which was a complete nightmare in this day and age. With right. you know, you think of a great name and then of course the website's available, and of course nothing else is on social. So we ended up ended up choosing hoopsie because the word hoop is the Dutch word for hope. And right. when a test you're always hoping it's one thing or another mm. the adding the s to make hoops is because i felt it was like going through life is like jumping through hoops so that was the first thing that took well what feels like months but i don't think it was but it took a lot of googling um and then it was a case of okay well how started we still are selling d2c but um it was a case of trying to work out how we're gonna target that audience and it's been a lot more challenging than I thought. Mm. Um, I thought people would go, yay, sustainable test. Yeah, we'll have like 10. But actually what's happened is people go, sustainable test, does it work? Right. And so, and also... That's interesting. So there's there's a reliability aspect of this. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. The most important thing with a pregnancy test that women look for is accuracy. Now, all of the pregnancy tests are over 99% accurate. So all have the same accuracy level. But it's still the problem with well, problem with pregnancy tests. It's not like just selling a T-shirt. It's mm. there's a preconceived ideas around different brands mm. and not rational necessarily. Yeah. Based on that one person, like someone would say, oh, don't use first response. Their ones never show up properly. Right. But it won't be based on anything really it will be based on something that someone's told them or someone's used it once and it didn't work and then that's their whole perception of the brand i mean that but that is exactly brand psychology in a nutshell isn't it is it's not really often based on anything mm -hmm. rational like you know you could you could say that um uh, you know it is quite often an emotional response and you could say that ev even things like encountering bad customer service once with a company and then deciding well that's it you know i don't recommend this company and just and then you know telling your friends like that in some ways you could even say that is irrational because it's just one experience you know what i mean like it's the same yeah. sort of thing with, with products isn't it that yeah people have a, a, a an emotional attachment to something and, and make their decision based on that it's interesting because i didn't realize that they all also have the same success rate, like the, the accuracy rate, which is interesting. Yeah. I, I honestly believe the same sort of thing as that until just now, to be completely honest. I yeah. assume that they were all made differently. So some probably were made a bit cheaper, so they're probably not as successful. But actually, when you think about it, it makes sense that, I mean, the technology's the same, right? Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. There's all these kind of preconceived ideas, like you, oh. like accuracy. And then, then you also get passed down ideas. So like yeah. your um, use clear blue so therefore she'll say you need to go and get clear blue test so you've got that as well to mm. kind of overcome so and then do you, do you think that the, there's certain elements of it which is like the, the product itself also encourages that to a degree like the digital displays and that sort of stuff which kind of makes give creates this appearance of more reliability of more accuracy by using technology or, or the packaging and things like that does that does that play into it psychologically do you think 
I think the digital display, definitely. Um, so basically all the digital thing is doing is reading the two lines because underneath that digital thing is the same piece of paper. Um, so, but it's interesting you say because there's loads of groups on Facebook and various platforms called Line Eyes. So when you get, when you do your pregnancy test, if it's two lines, you're pregnant. If it's one, you're not basically. So, but people obviously often are so hoping that they are pregnant that they, they're not sure. Maybe there is a line there. I'm not sure if I can see it. So right. they'll their test and they'll upload it to these things for people to tell them if they're pregnant or not. So this is why the Clear Blue Digital one, I think, came about because because people weren't sure and they're really hoping and to be told in words rather than having to work out mm. is dark enough or not it really gives them that reassurance that's interesting isn't it i didn't quite realize how much of an element of human psychology plays into this but it makes sense especially when there's a lot of hope and uh and desire behind behind something like this you mentioned yeah. obviously on your journey um with ivf and, and we like if you remember we we um my wife and I went through the same thing over the last four or five years, and uh, we're very thankfully we were successful. Uh, how many months ago? Um, eight months ago. <laughs> He's now eight. Um, uh, so yeah, I, and and definitely we we were going through, or Anna was going through a lot of pregnancy tests at the time. Um, there's actually a clinic where you are that's quite renowned and well known. Have you ever? It's called the Agora Clinic in Brighton. Um, have you have you approached clinics about you know them stocking stopping them? Did, did some clinics stock stock these? Um, I have approached clinics. I have had some very bizarrely interesting conversations. Like one clinic right. said, "We don't encourage women to use pregnancy tests." Right. Okay. Interesting. Because if they come in and get a blood test, they can be, they can charge them for it. Wow. Okay. That's depressing yeah uh, yeah um so other clinics i've approached um a couple of them are have, have our product not selling it but they have it on display and they have some yeah. cards for people to take but i found it's quite a hard one to break into in terms of selling the product um it, it doesn't seem to be something that most clinics are actually set up for in terms of selling stuff apart from right. their own if you know what I mean so um it's been a hard it, yeah we haven't got that's any weird. that's weird for so many reasons what you've just explained to me there like I mean the first not encouraging then they're not wanting to encourage women to take pregnancy tests but then yeah like not being set up to sell something I mean they're, they're literally set up to sell everything <laughs> but but in a physical product no like you know um, that's that's nuts, but I suppose yeah. I mean, that all of their service they're service led, right? So they're not really selling products, so they don't have a, a the ability to to. Well, although saying that, I mean, they sell medication essentially, but I suppose it's prescribed as opposed to off the shelf. So they're not you know barcode code scanning and, and all that sort of stuff. It's so bizarre, so bizarre. So people have actually clinics have actually flat out told you it's because they would prefer to sell blood tests. Yeah, or was that or was that implied? So no, that was implied. That was implied. You didn't say. Okay. Right. 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 We we don't encourage women to take pregnancy tests. We we ask them to come into the clinic or something along those lines. Yeah. So yeah. we prefer to make fifty pounds on the blood test than. Yeah. yeah. You know, see, there's. I mean, my you know, my wife will probably shake her head when I say this, but like, um, 
you know, I, I remember from the very beginning, the, the, on the, the, the outset in, in interacting with these clicks, I got the impression that it was um, not in, the, the focus wasn't entirely on the well-being of my, the wife, my wife and I. It was, and, and, and on the outcome, which, yeah. you know, is maybe a, I don't know, maybe that's wrong. I don't know. But th at the end of the day, when you're, when you're put in a position where you feel like your bank balance is the most important thing, um, in the discussion, then you're automatically going to be made to feel that the outcome isn't isn't the primary sort of uh, goal there, you know, um, which is the whole problem with private medical uh, services uh, as a whole, which is, you know, where's yeah. the incentive to actually solve the problem if the treatment is uh, is making them money, right? Um, which is, yeah, but but I've got a lot of feelings on that. Uh, so, but, well, um, I know some people that have worked in clinics will have a quota like you need to put get so many people's, you know, so many egg retrievals, so many this, so many that, which is just a money making scam. Right. And I, just awful. I mean, I had a bad experience. Yeah, and what happens if you haven't hit quota? Yeah. How, how do you make up for that? Someone's gonna have to lose out on something for in order for you to hit quota. It's it's like it's like the police having an arrest quota. It's the same yeah. kind of thing. It's like you're incentivizing the wrong thing here, guys. Like <laughs> I mean, when I did my egg harvesting, the doctor I had, we did the first, the first one didn't work. And you know, like I said, and then, so she called me like a couple of hours after I found out I didn't make it. And basically, apart from saying, hello, how are you doing? The next question was, when do you want to go again? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, I haven't even processed the information yet. It yeah. felt like such a money grab. And anyway, I ended up, like I said, going with this donor embryo and it was through uh, a clinic she suggested to me and by mistake, I told them, I don't want you to send any information to my specialist because um, I'm not dealing with her anymore. And they made a mistake and they sent her my first transfer information. And she emailed me afterwards and said how upset she was that I hadn't gone to speak to her about it before I went through the transfer. Oh God, cry me a river. <laughs> Look, it's not all about you. I'm yeah. so money grabbing and didn't care about me at all. That's why I didn't go back to you. But I mean, you shouldn't yeah. even have to explain yourself. I mean, my God, like, talk, you know, what, what happened to patient care, you know, in bedside manner? It's like, you yeah. know, if this is the decision you've decided to make, I support you. Um, good luck. Like, what can I do to help you? Like, what happened to that? You know, uh, that's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. What um, do you mind me asking how that that journey went for you? I, I didn't get pregnant. I did get pregnant on the second transfer, but then I miscarried. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. It, I don't know. It's so hard. Like when, especially when you're older, like the chance of miscarriage is so high. Yeah. Um, I also like you know IVF is such a. They make out like they really know what they're doing, but actually they don't have much idea at all. It's all based on averages and. Um, so your first go is really just a shot in the dark and then that they can customize it a bit more. But um, yeah, I also felt like I wasn't told any information beforehand. Um, and so they really, and that's one thing, that's why I started my online fertility community because I really felt like you just, you would expect the doctors to tell you when I went for my first, when I went for egg harvesting, and she basically, I said, what do I need to do between now and the egg harvest? She said, I'll just take these three tablets. That was it. There was no don't drink, no don't drink 
coffee, no exercise, no nothing. And yet now I've read so much about it that there's so many things you can do to improve your egg quality mm. um, beforehand and how things impact. And I just feel like there's just so much information out there that you don't get told. And I think it's really important that women are aware that your fertility, so many things impact your fertility, not just women, but men as well. Mm. And you, you, it, it's, it's all facets of your life, basically what you eat, you know. Yeah. And it's not just, even if you don't smoke, if your partner smokes or if you're around, if you passive smoke, then that's really bad. Like so many things. Mm. I mean, obviously you can't live in a bubble, but. Well, and this is the thing. There's also a lot of like, well, there's a lot of um, misinformation as well um, that's, that's spread very, very quickly and easily. And, and it's considered mainstream. I mean, like the fact that the pineapple, for example, is the, yeah. the, the, the sort of in, the symbol, in, at least in the UK, I don't know about other countries, but the symbol of fertility um, in the UK is, is kind of insane, given that there, as far as I'm aware, there is no scientific evidence to, no. <laughs> to prove that pineapple helps with fertility. Like that, that tells you everything you need to know about the state of, of, of fertility and, 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 you know, tackling infertility in the UK, in my opinion, because it's like, you know, pseudoscience is literally the symbol of how to solve this problem. Um, so yeah, a, a hugely confusing for anyone who wants to venture into that for the first time. And so anyone I've spoken to, because I've had other guests on um, the show talking about infertility before, a couple of different startups tackling it in different ways. And, um, and yeah, the, 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 uh, yeah, the, the 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 problem is always the same, which is just you you enter into this world of just how do I make sense of this? And it doesn't seem like the professionals that you deal with are any better in some ways because they add to that uncertainty either by not giving you the information at all that you really really needed to know, or or the opposite to to what you experienced, which is being overwhelmed with information and giving you everything and just dumping it on you and expecting you to absorb it all immediately, which is the other other side of things. For us, it was kind of a, somewhere in the middle, I, I felt at least, where we were told a lot of stuff, but a, but we were also, a lot of stuff was omitted that I th thought we found out later and I, I think was actually very important. Mm. So, so yeah, I don't envy anyone having to go through that and um, especially in your position where you, where you felt like you weren't given anywhere near the right amount of information. How did you find navigating through the sort of world of misinformation here though? I mean, like how, how were you able to or did you find a way of you know being able to filter that out and find what was true what wasn't especially within communities because actually some of these communities can be problematic and you've created your own because they can they're responsible largely for the sharing of misinformation so how do you manage all that well i think some things you can kind of write off as old wives tales i mean it's like the like you say the pineapple thing it's like what's at the end of the day if you eat pineapple it's not going to do anything bad so you know some people kind of go with that attitude to it well better better do it just in case yeah but where does it stop like <laughs> that it's like you know standing on your head for three minutes every morning well you know it can't hurt so we might as well and then it just you know it can get a bit crazy from there right? <laughs> you know slapping your husband in the morning five times well it can't hurt i've heard it could help so <laughs> well we start a new myth now around it yeah <laughs> yeah um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, regularly slapping your husband uh, releases yeah. some chemicals that yeah. encourage fertility. Yeah, yeah, it's a good idea. Um, well, I, <laughs> I think a lot of it I, for me it was, um, I guess, talking to friends. Um, I, I wouldn't say lucky, but I have a lot of friends that have been through IVF, right. and 
a lot of them like my one friend it took eight goes for her to get her daughter so she's been had practically every single treatment going um which you know was beneficial to me because then i could talk to her about it and get she'd done a lot of research into it mm. um and then um i've got friends that are doctors as well so then running some stuff past them but it is hard and it's hard to know and then as a you know as a consumer you're like you obviously really want it and they play on that and mm. they try and oh yeah you should really have this test because otherwise you won't know blah blah and then it'll affect this and this yeah. and then it's another like, 200 quid please it's another 500 quid please and then, yeah yeah and it so adds up and so one thing i did with my fertility community is yes it's support for women but also it's we've got experts in so you can ask a question and the experts have an expert tag next to their name so that if they respond, you know, you're getting correct, the correct information. You're not getting a myth of someone's cousin's aunt's friend's sister. Because yeah. um, that was the, what happened. That's what I saw happening a lot in these communities. Mm. You were hearing about the outliers, like not the majority of people. And so it giving you false hope. And. And yeah, I think, you know, hope's a hard one, but I think that you, really reality is in some ways, if it's said the right way, is the better way to deal with it. Mm. Um, because yeah, one probably won't hurt, but you know, you don't want, you shouldn't keep doing these things just because you heard that, you know, it, there's lots of things you can do that will make a difference. And yeah, I just think that it's a, it's a hard one. Um, it is because also there's an element of potential false hope as well, which can be in some ways more damaging. You know, what it, it, it's hard because you want a balance, right? You, you you obviously, like you said, there's no harm in doing certain things if it makes someone feel better and if it, it might have, you know, a small chance of it. And mindset and, and emotional state is a huge part of, of, mm. of, of everything as well. But then at the same time, when things go wrong or when things don't work, if there's a miscarriage or, you know, there isn't a positive test because of their like, you know, or I'm doing all of these things. I'm doing I'm eating all this pineapple. I'm drinking all the pineapple. You know, it can it can build things up to a, a point where the fall is even harder. So yeah. it, it's it's, you know, it's difficult, It you know, and I can only imagine what it must be like as a woman going through it. But, you know, I, I've only obviously experienced it on the sidelines. But um i mean yeah it's it's an interaction with science as well which you know we don't do that often in our lives unless you're in the scientific community or profession yourself and the thing that i think people don't understand about science is it's not exact mm -hmm. that's the thing about it and the misconception is that it is exact yeah you know? and there's only things we don't know yeah and we yeah i always thought like I've got a friend that works at the Francis Crick Institute. So she's a researcher. She's looking into the formula formation of ovaries in the fetus. And they obviously know why it's ovaries, because, you know, it's going to be a girl. But they're trying to work out what triggers them developing at that stage. Mm. And I said, oh, so you, you're going to have this like worked out in a couple of years, aren't you? She went, no, it will be lucky if we have it worked out in my lifetime. And she's like in her 30s. And things like that, you just think, surely we know all that stuff already. And we just, mm. so much we don't know. I mean, when I was doing my IVF, after I got pregnant, um, I was getting a lot of spotting. And you read loads of stuff saying you get spotting. And anyway, I 
I spoke to the clinic about it. They're like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. And then I read some stuff that, because you have to put up these, put these progesterone pessaries inside your vagina. And um, basically my body was getting irritated by this. And that was, the spoken was coming from that. And I spoke to the clinic about this. So no, 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 I'm sure that's not it. And I was like, well, I'm pretty sure it is it. Mm. And, and then I switched to put them up my bum, not pleasant, but that that is what what it was and you, so that's like something quite simple you should think there's hundreds of women that have been through their clinic someone would have experienced that before yeah. but no and so it's just you know there's so many things you don't know how an individual is going to react to something and well that's it and this is where there's this this intersection between the sort of medical world and business and and that's where it's problematic like we just said about um you know, obviously, there's you know a certain incentive there, which is a bit concerning. There's a conflict of interest in a lot of ways, and and all of that. But then, you know, like that example you just gave of you know I'm having this experience and them sort of being very close-minded to that. I mean, that's a really good example of like corporate, um, you know, blindness. You know, just like oh no no, this is you know the computer says no kind of thing, right? It's it's, it's typically that like you know you know you're through to customer services, uh, you know, and you know I this my you know my I don't know whatever my computer isn't working. Well, it should be working, but yeah, but it isn't. <laughs> you know, is that is that very typical like scenario? Just like it, it, but it isn't. Like okay, but my my computer screen tells me that if if customer says X, then say Y, and and this is the problem. You know, because if you were to go to uh, to most you know, uh, I mean, the thing is, there are other clinics which which absolutely don't do this. We're, we're not to not to brand all clinic, you know, fertility clinics this way. Um, but you know, it should be that if you're experiencing something specific to you, then that that should be the way it's looked at. It should be on a case by case basis, like you know. But it's not always the way, unfortunately. Um, maybe no. you know, maybe it's a, also a post pandemic thing. Perhaps you know, fewer staff. Maybe you know, I, I know a lot of clinics had to close and. There was there were some problems around that, that sort of time. Well, maybe I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I think it. I think it depends so much, doesn't it? Because on the clinic, on the staff, on the person, on the day. Yeah, yeah. You know yourself when you were a bit like, and then someone phones up with something so dumb, you're like, oh, seriously? Mm. And you might not respond as well as you would otherwise. I don't know. So many factors, but it's funny though because of when we. Um when we were finally successful and we we had to go and um arrange our birth in the evelina clinic in london and that was a really interesting experience which i won't go massively into right now because this isn't about me it's about you but 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 i will recount this a little bit is that um the all of the um uh doctors and nurses and surgeons and everything on the main ward were amazing once we were in the sort of midwifery part um everyone had a bad attitude like all the midwives um for the most part pretty much 99 percent of them you know terrible attitude like no one wanted to be there it was it was night and day you know some clearly very well respected professionals at the top of their game every interaction you had with them was pleasant was courteous was professional they filled you in they were double checking that you understood that you know everything was clearly very catered towards you so like it just shows it can be and this was day or night it didn't matter you know it mm -hmm. could be three in the morning they were on their game like top of their game and that's why they have a reputation as one of the best you know hospitals in the uk um if not the world for for for, for children um so it's doable <laughs> you know what I mean? It's doable. 
so why can't that be replicated then into that other unit or why can't it be replicated in other places like it it's just what's lacking you know <laughs> like, it, it, i don't understand it well i think there's, there's so many are they uh, better paid <laughs> yeah i mean there's so many different things written about that kind of stuff isn't there this happens in so many organizations and all about culture and all this kind of thing i just yeah. Obviously, nursing is not a great profession for money. So, yeah, but, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's to be yeah. fair, the surgeons always seem the happiest. I wonder what that is. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the nature of the actual job itself. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I don't yeah. know. I have I have heard recently that apparently there's a the the, the hugest amount of concentration of or one of the hugest concentration of psychopath psychopaths is in surgeons. Uh, in the the surgery profession, which is interesting and also slightly terrifying, <laughs> but it makes sense in a way. I think you might have you yeah. have to have a tendency towards that in order to enjoy your job. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> but I mean, as long as they're using their powers for good, it's fine. It's when they start mm. to go rogue and yeah, yeah, start making human centipedes and stuff. Yeah, that's a, but anyway, that's a whole <laughs> different conversation. So um so yeah so that is I mean uh, look an interesting journey you you came came about this so if you are enjoying this episode please subscribe like and share your thoughts in the comments what's next you, you obviously just spoke about you know, you're you're going through a bit of a tough time at the moment with things struggling to sort of penetrate some some elements of the market but you're a founder you always have a plan B C D E F G right so what's next on the list what are you what are your focuses now and, and what are your plans for the foreseeable well um well i'm fundraising at the moment i have been fundraising for a while mm. that be challenging at the moment mm. um i have done a few little twists and turns to try and um get that get that going um so now i'm working on a new product um just innovate uk grant i find out on friday so hopefully get that and that's to develop a 100 percent sustainable test so the idea is that we filed a patent on it the idea is that once that's developed we can then get approval and then we can license the ip to other immunoassay test manufacturers so that means mm -hmm. tests that means sti drug tests diabetes like any any of those lateral flow type tests could then use our technology and then it means that any test could be 100% sustainable. Right, and what do you mean by 100% sustainable? So um, something that breaks down in either, either it's flushable or breaks down in landfill within weeks as opposed to 30 years, which that plastic takes at the moment. Right, so at the moment the product um, that you've got is not 100% sustainable it's just close to it so what what elements are there elements of plastic still in it is that why yeah so we've got um there's it's 99% plastic free so the 1% is nitrocellulose which is um the bit where the results show up and um right. okay. and the that nitrocellulose is used in every single lateral flow test across the world so if we we found a way to replace that so that would make it that's a massive innovation in this mm -hmm. space even though it doesn't necessarily sound that big but there's been no change in lateral flow tests since they started basically mm. um so which was kind of started with the pregnancy test that's about 35 40 years ago um so yeah it's not 
it's only a one percent increase but that one percent increase will have a massive knock-on effect for the whole industry and mm. that test market is like a 30 billion pound market globally so it's is a massive opportunity not just for us as a company but in terms of like you know saving the world mm. uh, and you know it's just I guess part of the reason that we're, I'm doing this, like the product, new development and everything is partly because I want us to produce the best test we can and, and I want it to be the most sustainable it can be. But also I want to show other people that you don't have to do something like crazy to make a difference. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to fire mice to the moon or whatever it is. You know, you can do something really simple, mm. and a difference. And you know, I just feel like sometimes things get over-engineered and mm. it really, it's really not needed. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the great thing about um, some of the most simplest innovations and looking at things that are existing and sort of taking them apart and just going, how can we make this simpler and, and you know, better? What You know, what can actually be taken off in order to make it, you know, an improvement as opposed to what can we bolt on? Yeah. Yeah, you know, an innovative way of... Well, much more innovative way sometimes looking at things. Sorry, my dog's probably yeah. Um, yeah, that's super interesting. So um, what about the chemicals in the in the actual lateral flow test? Do they are they potentially a danger to the environment if they were to leak out? Because I don't know anything about how these things are constructed. So but presumably there's some chemical elements within them that react to 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 the urine, etc. So, um, yeah. so yeah, what about those? So the antibodies are uh, they're synthetic sheep, well, in pregnancy tests, it will depend on the test, but for pregnancy, there's sheep and mice antibodies. They're synthetic, though. They originally were used, used, used them from animals, and now they're made synthetically. So if they were to go, it's still basically natural, even though it's synthetic. So, right, that's interesting. I didn't realise that. But what, what, like hormones or something from them? Yeah, so the um, basically, yeah, so it, it's, it reacts with the, it's to react with the HCG to produce. Basically, they kind of like sit there and then if HCG is in the urine as it passes over, it grabs onto the HCG and that's what causes the line. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't mm. so, even considered like, like never really looked into how these things work. So these, all right, so these are like hormones from, from sheep and mice, you said yeah yeah okay super interesting so there's always an interesting question when people say oh your tests are vegan aren't they i'm like well not really depends how vegan you consider it yeah but 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 if they're synthetic now then presumably they kind of are right they kind of are but it depends on how vegan you are because you know how some people are like they won't even if it's originally derived from they won't even oh really people go that far yeah okay that's interesting. <laughs> well, I, know, I mean, you're a bit screwed if that's the way you're going to approach yeah. veganism because there's so many things I know. <laughs> that are originally derived from like, you know, you could, I mean, then you could say, well, vegan cheese. Well, one day previously cheese came from cows. So, you know, what are you going to do with that? But I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but that's interesting that, that people ask you that though. So is there, is there a bit of a call for, um, for your product from that sort of community, from, from the vegan community and so on? I I don't think there's a big niche. <laughs> I, no. Um, well, the way I see it with pregnancy tests, that they're all made using the same, pretty much same antibodies. 
the same materials. Um, so I don't see the point of us going, we could do more, we could make um, more synthetic antibodies which are derived from plants. We could do that. Um, and, but the problem is with that is that they're not very stable. I've spoken to the chemists that I'm working with about it. We've had quite a long discussions about it but and the stability is by stable i mean producing the same result every time right and so it will affect accuracy yeah right and if the test doesn't work then no one's going to use it so right. it's kind of like a bit chicken and eggy and at the moment there's there isn't there's nothing that's really stable enough right. to place it to make it properly in everyone's eye vegan because as soon as you say synthetic mice and sheep antibodies everyone right. would mice and sheep they won't read the synthetic bit do you right. know yeah yeah see again it's people's emotional reaction to things isn't it like overriding their the logical part of their brain like we, we, we you know we, you, ever, you ever need a proof that we were just animals <laughs> you know <laughs> with all the faults but they come with a with an animal and a neanderthal monkey brain and there it is right there right um, yeah yeah that's yeah, so super interesting so um so yeah so so you were you were explaining sort of what's next so that's that's one thing you're looking at and what else is on the horizon so you're doing um, that you're obviously raising um what else um <laughs> well i'm looking at an app as well um at the moment right uh i don't i was it was gonna be something further along the lines but i'm thinking i might fast track it but i I'm still kind of that was kind of just come up in the last week or so that I'm looking at obviously trying to get into more retailers. Mm. Um, we've just signed a distribution agreement with a, a company in Ireland and we're working with one for Benelux, which is Belgium, Netherlands, that area. Okay. Um, it seems like the retail retailers in the outside of the UK, so Europe, seem to be far more open to sustainable products. And so interesting this could be a much better way for us to expand into the market and kind of go from Europe and then back into the UK in terms of them looking to them for what's selling. Mm. Um, so that's something that the challenge with Ireland's easy, but with Benelux is new packaging because we've got a, languages. So, um, yeah, so that's, it's not going to be a quick, well, you know, I mean, going to be a few months it's not yeah, yeah 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 not not too long just some logistical things but that's yeah. that's that's fantastic news so that that's that's quite a big win then um so. well it, it's not done although we've got the distributor obviously that's not a done deal to right. the so it's um yeah anyway it's don't, it's, don't celebrate till the money's in the bank right that's that's rule number one <laughs> it's like with the irish distributor i had a lot um, and I mean, but that took like four months to get the, the physical chat with him. And then he said, oh, I said, well, when would you place an order? He said, oh, you have an order by this time next week. Well, two months later, I got the paperwork and I haven't. And that was mm, two weeks ago. I haven't got the order yet. So it's kind of like you kind of get a bit like it all sounds great. And mm. then you now know that until I've actually got that order in my hands. Yeah. 
it's it is rule number one of sales don't celebrate until you have the money literally in your hands because yeah it's very easy to get too overexcited otherwise um and yeah there, there are some sales offices i've worked in where it's been a rule to the point of like it's a fireable offense if you celebrate early like literally uh -huh. <laughs> because if, if someone you know and you'd, you'd get it with newbies you know like they'd get their first deal in and they'd be like yeah and they'd be jumping up and down and be like everyone be like, oh wow did you just close the deal but yeah yeah he said he's gonna sign it's like wow okay sit down shut up <laughs> <laughs> until until we see that that those zeros in the account don't do that again like that is seriously it's considered bad luck even you know yeah. some, uh, to to do that you can you can jinx your deal and stuff so but uh, yeah people don't seem to realize how difficult enterprise level sales is selling into corporates is a long arduous process and you're saying it took 4 months like um just to put things in perspective that's short <laughs> you know in my experience i had someone else putting pressure on them so what happened right but well, that's the way you have to do it. You have to leverage your your, your network, you know. So I had a, a retailer in Ireland who was interested um, in a sale mm. in buying product, and then I didn't. But I didn't have a distributor, and then they introduced me to the distributor, and then that's how we kind of did it. But it's not what you know. So you know, it's, yeah. that, that's the only way to get into these sort of these conversations. You know, really, like these people are you know very well gate kept. Um, so yeah, that's one of the best ways to go about it. Like you said, you know, having you know going to that event, sitting down next to someone, getting the introduction, like that's the the, the real the only way to to move things forward. You know, like trying to do this with cold outreach is next to impossible at this level, in a way. You know, yeah. It's um it's interesting as well because of the type of products that you know medical device. So we've we've actually got um another customer that wants to buy 10,000 units a month it's a product we've developed for them it's a different type of pregnancy test and so but we haven't got regulatory approval and we can't get it until 2025 and so until we so we've got this like sale sitting there but we can't do anything and it's so frustrating because it, it's not even we just you can't speed up regulatory approval I and mean, you can't sell it if it's not legal so you can't so you so you've developed something specifically for them that needs regulating and yeah right and well that, that is frustrating what is it is it for what's so different it, about it so it's a pregnancy test that um so when you when you have an abortion um you if you take the pills you get sent the pills and then you get sent to test and you take the pills three weeks later you do the test but you to check it's worked but you can't take a normal pregnancy test because it measures the hcg at a level of 25 and this test measures the hcg at a level of a thousand so on this test you want it to be negative that shows that your your um abortion has worked because right. you're still pregnant so currently there's only one manufacturer in the world that's making making this kind of test and so really? yeah so we've managed for quite a long time about six months mm. um, developing the test for them but um yeah but now because it is so different to the current pregnancy test we have to get approval and that's what's taking so long so yeah, that's insane mm. yeah. i mean it's also very unusual and for a couple of reasons for the first being to, to find an area where only one person or one organization is making something in this day and age is, is unheard of, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. so rare. There's at least usually a couple of people, um, you know, doing the same thing. They're in competition with one another. But then, yeah, to have to wait that long, why, why does it take so long? I mean, is it just, is it the case that they're, they're sitting there twiddling their thumbs or are they going through a lot of different 
um, paperwork, a lot of checks? Are you are you in regular communication with them? Like, what's that process? So, it's so it's actually our manufacturers going through the process. So, what we're it's a bit unfortunate timing, really. So, what's happened is the EU has changed their rules around um, what they're calling IVDRs, so in vitro um, diagnostic somethings. Anyway. So pregnancy tests and those kind of diagnostic things. Um, and so because they've changed the rules, normally what would happen is we develop the test and then we just add it onto our current CE certification. But because of this change, no current certifications can't be updated. So it has to be put on your new certification. And because they've just made this change recently, it's a massive backlog. And so it's taking around 18 to 24 months for regulatory approvals so that's why mm, wow well i mean there's this there's this organization that you've developed this for i mean they're going to be sticking around and they're gonna they're just waiting for you to to, to get this done right so that they're not going anywhere so no, that's, going anywhere well that's good that's good they'll stick around for you that's so frustrating from the cash flow point of view where yeah. you're Yay, we've got this. No. <laughs> but at least you know it's coming. So that's good. So that, that can go on the books. So yeah. Well that can go on the forecast. I started the books for 2025, but yeah. <laughs> but it is, yeah. I mean, well, it can go the pitch deck then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so yeah, and, and and on that point, how is the raising going? Obviously, you said you just come back from Milan and had an event there, which was a bit of a bust. But but you know. With, as a side note, as a bit of an observation and comment, I was speaking to someone, one of my clients actually yesterday, and we were talking about how he's doing, um, at the moment he's going through a process of speaking to a lot of, uh, he's trying to find his product market fit, but before doing that, he's 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 um, really sort of speaking, doing market research, conduct you know, with his potential ideal customer profile, speaking to them and trying to understand if that you know the pain point that he thinks exists exists and all that sort of stuff, right? And he was explaining to me that he found he's found it to be an incredibly useful thing to do, even in scenarios where he's told to basically piss off, because every single time. He's getting better at um, explaining what he does and, and what the product is, and so every single time it's it's is flexing a muscle. So he's you know he's got that that great outlook, which I think is is fantastic. So do you feel at the very least that even in situations like going to Milan, you're getting something out of it, right? You, you've got you've got that at least that to, to sort of say well, and also a trip to Milan, which isn't bad. <laughs> I, I suppose. And I was on Ryanair. Right. And it's like. Anyway, right. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, well, the good thing about the Milan um, thing was the Monday, so I pitched on the Tuesday, and the Monday there was a pitch camp um, right. and with a proper pitch coach. Like, And I've done stuff with proper pitch coaches before, but this guy was just different level. He, um, what happened was, and this is a really interesting exercise that I think more people should do, um, so we all had to go go onto an app on our phones. There's about 20 of us in the room. Each person pitched, and then you had to rate them out of 10 on lots of different areas like market, size, um, presentation, problem, solution, all, like all the things you would be normally be judged on in a pitch deck. And then at the end, you had to say, if you were an investor, would you want to meet them and rate that? And then how if you thought they would get through to the final of the pitch competition we were doing? Um, and then he basically um, put all these results together and then they got sent to us in a spreadsheet at the end of the day. And that was really interesting because mm -hmm. you will see some people at Easy Market, some people, there were three proper judges there as well. 
Um, and so we still got questions from the judges and he gave us individual feedback as well if we asked for it. And that was really, really insightful. Mm. And um, I, I actually had a really long conversation with him about mine. And, and basically what came out was quite, he said, it's not, you're not, he said, it's like you've done it too much. You're not passionate enough. No, he said, you don't know your why enough. It's not yeah. coming through strongly. And, um, and he's, he was really, really like, you know how some people, oh, I don't want to tell you this because, you know, oh, I might offend yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm telling you all this stuff. Like, one girl kept going like this with her hands. And he said to her, you've got to stop doing that thing with your hands. It, this is what it says. And it was amazing. And it was... It actually helps people. I mean, it's exactly what I do in my, you know, what I'm known for um, in my, yeah, my work as an advisor. It's just cut the bullshit like you know we haven't got time for niceties like you don't you can have a bedside manner it's not to be rude but like you know just say what people need to hear because if, the way i see it is maybe how this guy sees it which is that this is people's livelihoods on the line at the end of the day like some of the people i speak to some of the founders you know they put their entire life into their business their their marriage their 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 their, their family their mortgage is on the line and it's like if i don't tell this person straight like you know how how to make something successful like i can't sleep i can't live with myself like this is important stuff you know and this is people's dreams and so that's great to hear you had that he was, direct no bullshit feedback he, he was fabulous and one thing that was really interesting was this girl there whose her product was a rheumatoid arthritis drug right. and she pitched and then at the end he said okay who understood what she was talking about or who knows what her product is right he put that hand up and there was like two half hands up and he said what do you think might be the problem here <laughs> she, she, had, she had nothing she was so scientific she just mm. couldn't but she took all of his feedback on board and i watched a pitch the next day and she was a million times better mm. and it was so lovely to see that so yeah so that was um and then also I actually got a guy to record my pitch um, that I did in Milan and um, when I did the live one and because um, I had done changes based on this guy's feedback mm. and I sent it to him. So I'm now waiting for some feedback from him. So we'll see what he says. But but yeah, so that's it is pitching is good for it's good for getting that feedback um, uh, on what you're doing. But also the questions are always interesting that the judges ask because it just says, OK, so. You're asking that question because you haven't understood or I haven't explained well enough or, you know, I wasn't clear enough. So it kind of gives you ways to refine what you're talking about for next time. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I find really helpful. And then also it's like it gives you an insight into what's actually important to them. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of pitching, uh, a lot. So, um, yeah. But, but like you said, I suppose that is also it's a double-edged sword because like this guy pointed out if you end up doing it again and again and again then you yeah your passion can kind of leave but but also if you've been doing it not wrong but not at its best for the, for a really long time too it's no surprise so sometimes it takes someone to kind of reinvigorate that passion doesn't it you know in you something that i uh, advice i often give around pitching is a narrative to, to do it make sure that there's a, narr a strong narrative within the pitch which i think people forget about and in fact, in some ways, it ties in perfectly to what we were talking about earlier, which is the fact that 
you know, we, we as human beings, we're hardwired to have emotional reactions to things. And I think you've got to play on that. You've got to leverage that. You know, people want to root for a character. They want, you know, they 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 love the hero's journey. You know, yeah. and to you know, like just your story about you know how you came about this idea. Like that is presumably something you say in your pitch. And if it isn't, then you absolutely should. But like presumably it is. Yeah. So, and and that that is what people. I think that's what hooks people in. You know, that's so important that there's an emotional investment, not because it. You know, people will break down and analyze that because of like, that's your why, you know, and all this sort of, and they use all these sort of statements like, you know, are you going to show that you're the right person for the job, that you're passionate, that if we gave you the money that you were going to execute, that are, but actually it's a lot more reptilian monkey brain sort of than that. It's just in telling the story, it's more memorable because you're assigning emotion to what's being said. That's all it really comes down to. It, you know, like to, to that question that that, that um, person said to you of like, would that person want to have a coffee with you and speak with you afterwards? That's all it comes down to. Is this person interesting enough to speak to again? <laughs> That's all it is. Like the, rest is the rest is kind of bullshit, to be honest. Like the numbers and all that sort of stuff. They look at someone and they just go, this person's interesting. I want to speak to this person. That's really all it is. Because when you've got that, you've got the opportunity. The door's open. Yeah. And that's what you were saying. Your pitch is just a way to get to your next meeting. Right. And he was all about channel your inner animal. And so, okay. <laughs> because, like, how many times do you think I've done this pitch camp? And I said, I don't know, a million. He was like, exactly. And how, did it come across like I've done it a million times? I was like, well, no. He said, so I'm channeling my inner animal. It was a very funny guy. So I was going on stage, like, like before I went on stage, trying to. <laughs> so I quite like that analogy as yeah, well. Yeah. So, you were you were trying to be it was as if this was as new and exciting for you as it was for the people in the audience and that's yeah. the hard thing to get across when you're doing it you've done it a lot it is yeah and it, yeah and especially when the, the business idea is is has sort of been and gone but that initial time maybe when you come up with the idea that's where that was all the excitement and energy and then it's kind of dwindles it's hard to to keep that momentum that's why it's so exhausting i think for you know for a lot of founders to and so, and so many entrepreneurs and founders don't make it that long because you have to maintain that, you know, the entire time. Whenever you're talking about your company or your product, that's not easy. It's no. not easy at all. Yeah. It can so, be very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do to combat that? Do you, do you have any tricks? Or maybe now is it is it you just do you do the channel your animal thing? Is that your new trick now? Well, that's going to be that is my new trick. But I have to right. say the. Uh, three days at the conference in Milan I was like pretty wiped but so really I find that doing things I enjoy like I normally I'm now I'm in Brighton I'm ocean swimming every day oh lovely that really really helps me I think um I think it's for me it's doing something that's completely different that you can't that the that means you can't oh it's very hard to think about work like obviously when you're swimming you can but I actually hum when I'm swimming because it relaxes me okay also, could I just point out, you're talking about swimming in the ocean in October in the UK. Like, yeah. I feel like we're living in an alternative alternative reality right now. Like, what's going on? It's beautiful outside. <laughs> I know. I, considering we didn't really have summer, I think it's uh, well-deserved. So, yeah. yeah. The thing is, because I've been living in Sydney for 20 years, and I just came back over to the UK in end of November. And so... I was swimming there every day, all year round. Obviously, a little bit different on the temperature side, but um, 
even at Christmas, I swam in the ponds at Hampstead Heath near my brother's and four degrees. That was rather refreshing. <laughs> but I just find that kind of doing something like that really, I just feel so much better after it. And I think it's, you need to find those things and then you need to make sure you do them and make it. And that sounds ridiculous, but you know, when you're like really tired and you say, oh, I can't bother doing anything, you have to force yourself off the couch and go and do it you do feel so much better afterwards and more and I think that's and then I think the other thing is like is is um having a support network around you like I actually posted on LinkedIn I normally do a weekly roundup every Friday on LinkedIn I do a short video like two minutes sometimes three just saying what's happened in my business that week and and I didn't do one on Friday because I was feeling so flat and then Monday I did one after my swim and I just like yeah, I had a really flat week. I really need some wins. I really need stuff to happen. And you then get like people support you. And that helps as well, I think, in being authentic and honest and not being, you don't have to be a cheerleader all the time. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Also think, you know, even doing an exercise like that, where you force yourself to think about what your wins were, is quite an interesting way of doing it too as a psychological trick to so you know we, we would do that quite a lot in the various organizations i've work, worked in and, and ran and, and all sorts where no matter what's happened throughout the day you've got to list at least you know two wins or two losses whatever it might be and because it gets you to just think a bit more analytically about things and then you know actually look for the success in otherwise what you might consider a pretty unsuccessful day or week or month um, and and actually it can it can offer a bit of perspective, can't it? Whereas mm -hmm. if you know, whereas if it's sort of more arbitrary or more vague, then you're, you you know human beings are more inclined to naturally look at the negative, so you're naturally going to be inclined to do that. So there needs to be a structure in place, I think, often to force you to look at the the, the positives when when you're not otherwise in a position where you would probably want to, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But that's that's really interesting that you um, that you hum while swimming. That's 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 good. What do you hum? <laughs> it just mm, oh okay i just maintain a a, a certain frequency so people when i swim with friends i think it's quite funny because they're like yeah we can hear you coming <laughs> at <laughs> least they can't lose you so that's good mm. <laughs> but it's funny because i actually find if i don't harm i don't swim as well okay <laughs> oh i know oh. That's interesting. So you were, I didn't realize you were living out in Australia for all this time. So, so what were you doing out there? How did you get caught out there? Well, I didn't really, I wouldn't say caught. Um, well, I, the guy I met, uh, uni, I met a guy at uni, um, who I was dating and then he was British, but he has residency in Australia. So, um, moved oh, out. I do vaguely remember you mentioned this actually. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and we got married, got divorced, but I loved Australia. So I stayed and, uh, yeah and then i set up the company there and then applied for approval to regulatory approval to sell the product there but um i filled in the form myself that was a bit of a mistake and uh we didn't get approval we got nine pages of feedback and then i responded to it and anyway we didn't get approval right lesson learned uh so um launched in the uk first mm -hmm. fair and enough made a rod for my own back in that I then had to really come over here to get it going properly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and and whereabouts in in, in um in Australia were you living um in Sydney in Manly which oh, okay. see on the beach I was about 300 yeah. meters beach wow beautiful mm. so uh yeah are you are you happy with the fact that you're back in the UK no 
<laughs> so, so you literally became here specifically to, for the business then. So, yeah. are you have you got plans to go back at any point, or you do you do do you go back, you know, and visit? Or um, I haven't been back since November, but I guess it's not that long. It's not even a year yet. But um, yeah. I've got residence. I've got citizenship residency that right. I, I like. But um, I think at the moment, the phase that the business is at, I think that. Um, it's easier to be here or be in Europe because the mm. time it's is um it's just very hard. Like I was talking to a friend this morning in Sydney and I'd have to basically work from six PM till about two or three in the morning if I was to no, seven PM. Yeah, till two or three in the morning every and it just would be really hard. Yeah. Um I just think that it I'd be better off being here in this in this um time zone but i think also we'll expand into the us in the next couple of years and then probably we'll move to the us because a nicer california like mm -hmm. um and <laughs> b much bigger market yeah but it's full of americans yeah there is that <laughs> compared to australians you know like a uh, bit of a trade-off there. <laughs> no, I love I love Americans. Uh, to any Americans listening, I was joking. It's just a it's a traditional British sarcastic humour. That's all that is. <laughs> Some of your readership halves, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which, yeah. So it will go from two to one. So that's good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, that's no, that's super interesting. Um, so yeah, going a little bit back to um to 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 where we were talking about a minute ago with with what the future is holding. So you've got um yeah, interesting new product on its way. Um, uh, you're in conversations with some of the well, you've got some some agreements with distributors, so that's great. So presumably you've got more conversations with other distributors lined up. Um, is that something else that you're working on? Also, who's doing all of this? Are you doing all of this solo, or do you have anyone helping you with? With some of these conversations with some elements of sales and marketing you're doing everything yourself so entirely found-led sales for one of a better expression yeah entirely found-led sales that sounds very fancy yes well that's what it's yeah that's what it's called i mean i work with a lot of um my clients specifically for found-led sales who are like new to it and it's um yeah i mean it's 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 difficult it's very difficult you're doing so many different things i don't think people appreciate quite how difficult that is yeah it is it is challenging um with the distributors um i think we'll just go with these two for now um because my concern is like as it is just me um we're raising the money i'm raising will expand the team but realistically there's only so much you can do and yeah. you focus as well and otherwise you can do a few things well or you can do a lot of things badly and that is my yes. concern especially if we it's not so much the sales that wouldn't be the hard bit but i can see the stuff up would happen somewhere in the packaging um because if we go because we're also spain apparently are interested and france but then you've got another two languages mm. actually you know belgium and netherlands that's french and dutch and then we've got spanish and it it just it, it just adds to your workload and mm. i feel like these things just start to fall through the cracks so i would prefer to get these two working well and then we can add to it mm. uh, and see how it goes and also we have to redesign the packaging for um the new countries because basically one of the things so we're currently selling in a tube a cardboard tube which looks great on shelf but is a nightmare to post if anyone orders online oh oh rocks again doesn't go through letterboxes 
Yeah, and it bumps us up into the next category in terms mm. of pricing. So we could halve our postage costs by changing the pack. So I'm going to change the pack. Mm. Uh, but, you know, so it's not as simple as just ask someone to translate it and do it. it it's a bit more than that. So anyway, yeah, so that's kind of what's happening in the distributors. I kind of, it's very tempting as a founder, and you know, to basically try and do everything. Yeah. yeah. It just doesn't work. And things start to fall through the cracks and i think the hardest thing is like you have people coming to you and saying oh yeah you know i can help with this i can help with that but realistically you know that they're not actually gonna do the work mm. they will they will give you the advice which is great but so you sometimes have to put a pit <laughs> how i make a living <laughs> yeah. yeah tell you what to do i don't do it yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it's hard sometimes to put a say, let's just put a pin in it, hold off on that. Let's, mm. I need to focus on this and then come back to it. It's like, there was a lady a couple of weeks ago, she was desperate to chat, desperate to chat. I'm doing this thing, this is going out. We, you know, we could do this great collab. I just thought, I don't think this is, I think it's a waste of time. And then it was, and it was just like, there was no need, we didn't need to talk that day mm. or a few days after she emailed me, but it's very hard to, to navigate through those kind of things as well because you know you only have so many hours in the day and this is the thing that like, you've said some really interesting things there like you know about not wanting to, to you know when you you do try and do everything you end up doing nothing right essentially and it's it's funny because a lot of um, founders I speak to in your position who are kind of trying to to to, to, to lead for the sales effort themselves solo but and also trying to raise like it feels quite often like a zero-sum game because you know they cannibalize one another you know the amount of time it's a full-time job to, to do sales for a product or for a business and it's a full-time job to raise so inevitably you're doing them 50 50 and in fact you're doing it less than that because there's all the other stuff that you have to do as well so because you're also managing the logistics and designing the packaging and the marketing you know there's so much more so in essence when you actually sit down and look at how you're distributed across your business as a single employee um, wearing all of the different you know sort of employee hats as it were then you'll often find it's like 20 percent on this 20 percent on that 20 percent on that and i like well that's not that's not sustainable so you know quite often you know, you know the advice that i give people is to focus on on one thing and, and do it really fucking well and that's usually sales because like that's something you can measure like especially if you've got you know some successes already under the belt it's like there's an appetite for it double down on that because of then that's a much more compelling case for a uh, for a potential investor <laughs> as well. So it's like you're killing two birds with one stone. You know, if you keep getting no's and rejections here, it's like, well, you know, why, you know, why keep repeating that? Go and focus on that, and then come back in a year's time and go, guess what? We've just made a million, you know, or whatever it might be. And at that point, you might even think, do we even need investor money? You know, <laughs> like we can just keep doing what we're doing. Um, but I've seen so many founders get burnt out trying to do everything. It's um, it's hard. It's really hard. But yeah, I'm guilty of it too. And you know, I found a trick for this a couple of years ago. So, um, and I'm actually overdue this now. Um, I need to book that in for this month. But every um, every sort of usually around three to six months, um, I will book in ideally no less than three days for myself where I do uh, no meetings, no client work, no nothing. And the entire idea of it, ideally a week, is to have kind of like annual leave, but I call it strategic leave. And the goal of it is to sit down and take a bird's eye look at everything I'm doing, pick it apart and figure out if it is the most um, streamlined it can be, right? Am I focused on, you know, 
okay, I'm focused on this. This is one of the projects. Pick it apart. Does it make sense? You know, does it fit, work into the wider strategy? What is the wider strategy? Has that changed? You know, and and really just take everything and 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 rip it apart and you know visualize it. Because I'm quite a visual person. You know, I'll put it up on wall and you know all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's hugely helpful because things change so frequently in what we do that doing that every three to six months, more frequently earlier on, three like every three months, yeah. but um, is is hugely beneficial just to take that time away and step away from everything um, and and just reassess and then set a load of goals as a result and go, okay, I can get back into it now, but now I know I can cancel that, I can move that, I can change that um, and, and come out of it a lot more streamlined. So that's that's what I found works for me that to, to avoid that, that potential issue. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's I that not on quite the same level, but yeah. So I, I agree. It's it is good to take a step back and look at where everything's progressing and, and that's kind of what I feel I kind of try and do it in two ways. One actually doing work and the other actually not doing work. Mm. I feel when you're not doing stuff, often things just in the back and then they pop forward yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they make that sound too mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah you're right but then also it's, it's i mean look it's, it's so funny everything's a double-edged sword because i find that the that some of the the worst things happen to me when i'm not doing work as well which is like you know the overthinking sets in all of the new ideas for new projects i'm like yeah i should do that i should do that and this is where i start getting like you know setting myself unrealistic goals and targets and all this sort of stuff and then that's why i need this like occasional break to just be like what the hell were you thinking <laughs> you know, why have you dedicated you know and committed to to all of these different things that you know you can't do like you know um so yeah the, the brain is a nightmare isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah uh, who knows what's going on really yeah yeah there's no there's no golden bullet is there there's no secret you've got to find what works for you you know and like you know the yeah everyone is everyone is different and some people are capable of managing all these things too you know like i said you know um the majority of the time this is the advice i give to people uh you know but but there are outliers all the time to that there are some people who just work at such a pace that i've spoken to they're like aliens and they can do every they can do everything and that's just insane to me you know some when i meet these people i met someone recently like that who just blew me away with the amount of stuff she was doing and i was like how do you find the time you know between between everything else and personal life and family life and, and everything else but some people are just built different you know? <laughs> i don't understand it but we shouldn't compare ourselves because we are us at the end of the day and we can do what we can do you know yeah i know it's, it's interesting. i often get well i had a coach for a while and she i sent her my wins every week she's like oh my god you're doing so much and i was like well, what do you mean she went well normally people only send me one or two things you've got like eight mm. <laughs> A friendly reminder to share this episode with your network, subscribe for more and join the conversation in the comments. It really helps us out. Thank you. Um, yeah, but it's, um, yeah, it's hard not to compare yourself to other people, very hard. And also social media does not do you any favours on that front because everyone looks like they're a superstar about to be the next Jeff Bezos and <laughs> not face. Yeah, it's funny because you you say that because of um, I'm seeing I'm starting to see now I think a, a bit of a trend more towards authenticity and and you know sort of revealing the 
the hard truths or the all the struggles and things now but i i wonder if it's also maybe just to do with the the fact that you know over the years the people who i've associated with has changed as well which which means that 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 now what i'm getting on my feed has changed too right because i think early on in your in your founder journey you're going to follow people who are inspirational um who mo to motivate you to be successful so you know to, to but who share their wins because of that's it that that's going to drive you forward and then after a while it can grate on you <laughs> for the reasons you just mentioned but i think that's why it's so important to meet other founders in the same sort of position as you and and then that way you can start sharing each other's stories and then that you're exposed more to that than just the idealized version of what foundership is um as you know the sensationalized version of it the packaged version of it you know what i mean mm -hmm. so um or, or maybe it is something changing in the sentiment i don't know i think people are are, are keen for some authenticity hence this right hence this conversation and why i think people are quite interested to consume um just two people sitting down talking about entrepreneurialism and, and what it's like being a founder in a much more real and unedited and kind of unscripted way because i think there is more of an appetite for that these days than ever before yeah i think people do like to yeah listen to real people's stories I was actually reading something online yesterday about um, a guy whose wife had to go to the hospital and have a hip operation. And she had, she was 56, but they wouldn't operate till she'd taken a pregnancy test. And I got to the end of it and I thought, why the hell did I read that? I don't even know that guy. Mm. It was just very compelling. And I think it's that, just that human angle. And if you can do that, you can really get people in to, people want connection don't they they want to know that they're you know you're the same or you're similar to someone else and you're going through the same experiences and yeah i think it's a lot of it's that yeah we're, we're fascinated with stories you know i've mm. said this before another um another podcast uh, another episode but um there's a uh a terry pratchett book that he wrote with a i think it was with, with a mathematician he wrote a series of books called the science of disc world um mm which uh, I don't know if you've read any Terry Pratchett um, at all, but I highly recommend reading those series because even if you're not into his regular Discworld novels, which are all quite, you know, crazy fantasy comedy stuff that, you know, isn't for everyone. The science of Discworld is really interesting because he uses the world that he created as, an, as a way, as a device to tell the, the history of, of the earth, basically, and the evolution of man and all that kind of thing. And he, he describes human beings as having... He says they should have been called not shouldn't have been called Homo sapien. They should have been called Pan Naran, which is Latin for storytelling ape, because uh -huh. essentially that is our defining feature as a species is the ability to tell stories. That's how we pass on knowledge. That's how we give instructions. That's you know everything. You know how we build religion and and everything that we do is based on on storytelling. And yeah, some of the most can can um, the most memorable. I don't know what happened there um but yeah and some of the most memorable ways of, of passing information from one person to from yourself to someone else and, and for them to retain them is to put it into a narrative base you know hence the, the what we were saying about pitching um mm. so yeah i agree 100 100 with that sentiment um that's that's what we're looking for and not just like boast that's why we can't stand uh showboating or boasting right because there's, like there's no you haven't given me a reason to like you <laughs> tell me how you struggled first and then i will root for you for for what you've managed to achieve like that's how people are 
it's weird but that's how we are so um yeah right okay so look i'm interested to know um a little bit more in about what um what challenges you you've alluded to some of them obviously sales and 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 uh and and the supermarkets but what other challenges have you come across recently that you know maybe you want you're, you're getting a little bit frustrated with and maybe we can air them out and we can we can find a way to solve them here and now let's do a therapy session come on what are some of the struggles you're going through i'll lie down um yeah take a seat yeah i'll get my pen and pad out i'm ready well one thing i'm trying to work through at the moment we're not I don't know that's the right words, but I'm trying to clarify. Maybe it's more the right words. Mm. So uh, we were talking earlier about pe people often have a perception of pregnancy tests that sustainability means they don't work. Now I'm trying to find a way to um, to I guess it's all about positioning of the brand. Mm. Sustainability is not it's not enough of a positioning because people don't care enough. So it comes back to the storytelling thing. So, um, and so one thing I've done about to, well, I'm about to start is um, working with five women. I've said I give them free pregnancy tests until they conceive, send them a three pack every month. And in return, they have to give me feedback on the product. And because I feel like I need to get more into the women's or just into people's minds as to what it is that would motivate you to buy this product versus a clear blue or a first response or whatever it is. And that's been, that's kind of one of the challenges I'm working through at the moment is the actual positioning of what words do I use? How do I say it? How do I say it in a way that it comes across not as like cheesy um, sales talk, it comes across as authentic. Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, Re resonant, what's the term? Um, resonant messaging? I think, was, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So because like um, one of the things I was chatting to a lady about was about um, how, uh, you know, you're building a better world for, your, for the future generations. Now, to me, that sounds really cheesy and awful. And I just go. Mm. So it, but it's like that partly, it's partly that because when you're thinking about, well, when you're trying for a baby, of, suddenly you're more aware of things, the future and the world around you and how that will impact this potential, this baby you're going to bring into the world. So it's, it's all about the positioning of, of the brand and how we make that, how, how I it to make it resonate with people so they go yes that is the one that's talking to me mm. is that the is that actually the case though that the when when uh when you're attempting to get pregnant that's that's what you're thinking about or is the to play devil's advocate is the the focus not more you know not not to be offensive but more slightly selfish at that particular moment of just i would like to get pregnant and then and then that that sort of thought process happens maybe later <laughs> you know what once that hopefully that's successful but at that particular moment in time isn't that more the focus of just i i would like to get pregnant please like you know we're trying especially if you're going through all of the trials and tribulations in order to get there isn't that more the focus but you know the world can kind of fuck off it's like i want to get pregnant you know i think it depends on um how long you've been trying i mm. you've got there's people that have been on, you know, people who have been trying to try for years and other people will try for five minutes. And I think um, 
it's something I agree in your your first thought is I want to get pregnant I want to be this is what I want but I think also you around that you start to think about like you know where's baby gonna like sleep what's it gonna wear all this and then you kind of start to think about the world around you and the environment so I wouldn't say it's your number one thought but I would say that it's it's something that kind of start is starting to build awareness in your mind um especially as depending on how your journey's been if you have been someone that suddenly cleaned up your life do get pregnant as in you know stops drinking as much and smoking or whatever it is change your diet and stuff then all of that is kind of going to become more important mm. to you and more i guess you'd have a higher level of awareness around it so what have you come up i mean have, have, you, this this is only just something you've just begun as a project is it or, or have you managed to get some some indications from these uh these volunteers um, or participants as to yeah we haven't i haven't started working with them yet we i just literally have to i'm about to start next this week i have started to ask people about what their i'm just looking for what we came up with um what their um what what they what resonates with them in terms of like a focus group essentially is what you're putting together isn't it yeah yeah because it's it's a hard one to get right Mm. I just, I don't want to be that cheesy. Um, it's, it's, it, I guess a lot of it is about tapping into the mindset of those users and where they are. It, it's okay. So, a really good example is um, I went to a, a website, it was all about setting up business in Malta. And the first line was something like, Would you like to be on this beach every day? And there was a picture of Gorge Beach. And I was like, Hell yeah. And like that really spoke to me and I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Mm. And so I need it's finding out that thing that goes, yes, that's me. I and I think that's the hard thing to get into that psyche. And I thought I thought that I kind of had it, but um, but it's still it's not resonating enough because not enough people are willing to try, willing to buy into it. And mm. Well, there's obviously when you've got a product or service, whatever, there's all these features and benefits. And there's always that, um, what's in it for me? Why should I bother? All of that kind of stuff. And that's all really important. But it's the, it's the, it's the, you're trying to, in some ways, you're selling something aspirational. Mm. So it's trying to tap into that without making it like, you know, you could say, we help you get pregnant. Well, that's actually a bit of a lie because we don't help you get pregnant because but it's that kind of thing that people are looking for those kind of cues and it's finding that cue that will really identify with them Mm. yeah you see you've got my brain going now think trying to think of (laughs) but it's um yeah yeah no i see what you're saying so so you're trying to find that hook essentially yeah that, that draw um yeah, that can take time. Yeah, definitely. But I think you're going the right way about it by speaking with 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 yeah potential customers or or, or customers in this sort of focus group mentality. So how are you going to go about sort of doing that? Are you going to feed them various um, uh, various messaging and ask for their feedback on it? Are you going to ask them to come up with their own? Like how how are you going to go about it? And and over what sort of period of time are you going to be doing this? With? Well, I said that um, I would give them send them three pack of pregnancy tests every month until they got pregnant mm. or two years. So I was right. 
for forever. Yeah. But um, I think initially it will be just be sending them the tests and asking them some questions and get their feedback. So I'm not biasing them on what they're saying. And then I think after that, um, depending on what they say, then going back and, you know, getting them to like maybe rate things between one and five as to, you know, how much do you agree with the statement type questions so that mm. we try and get them to um, try and find that thing that's really, it's the thing that I think is missing at the moment from our, the way we're positioning and marketing the product. And, and it's kind of like, it's been a massive long learning experience because like have to do a lot of educating around um, sustainable tests being just as good. I've had to mm. look educating around it's not a strip test. You actually need to wheel on it because people don't realise by a picture necessarily or people's brain automatically goes, it's not in plastic, therefore it's a strip test. So it's when, you mean, when you say strip test, you mean like for, for dipping? In ones, yeah. Right, okay. So it's been, it's been a lot of like, I thought it was quite straightforward, but it's not actually been that straightforward so mm. it's through a few different learning um to get why, to... why is that by the way sorry just as a, as yeah. a random side aside but yeah why is that why can't you dip it as, and why do you have to pee on on it you, you can dip it oh you can you, okay you can so it just looks like a normal um it looks like a strict test yeah it's just a lot bigger the reason it's bigger and you can wee on it is because People, women prefer 95% of women prefer to use a midstream test because they perceive it to be less messy. Right. They don't like weighing in a cup and then dipping the test in because you might get weird on your hands. Well, yeah, quite a difficult feat, I imagine, to to manage. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, because it's yeah. hard to know exactly where the weed's coming out, etc. It's not like you're yeah. a boy. Um, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so messaging. Um, so, yes. Yeah, that's one thing that I'm um, working on at the moment because, and then, um, then the other thing is, is basically working out how I can get people to give me money. Hmm. Right. Well, you mean as a whole, so investors and consumers? Well, investors really, because hmm. um, consumers like, I'm still talking to retail, but retail is a long road. Hmm. Even like Holland and Barrett, they won't make a decision they'll make a decision probably in the next few months but the next month or so but then it won't go into store until for another six yeah. so in terms of sales um we need to get the, the consumer sales we have more opportunities there i think at the moment mm. um but and then it's just and then but really to survive we need investment to get us to that stage where we can finally work everything out get the new product developed and and start to work kind of on the white labeling type strategy so that's like another sales opportunity is white labeling um which has been i haven't actively gone out and tried to pursue that because that's like you know you're saying about sales that's like a massive time mm -hmm. and it's kind of like i guess one of the things that's always very hard to work out is how much time is it going to take how long is it going to take to return an investment on that time and what is the return going to be mm. and so having to work out those three things and then and then you have to decide which one you're going to do so we've got the retail sales we've got the investment and we've got white labeling in terms of bringing and then consumer sales in terms of bringing in income and so that's always that's the challenge and i kind of have gone on retail sales well 
it's a long play. I feel like we need to be in the game, but I haven't got a lot of time on it. So I'm just going to do a couple of hours a week. And that's all I'm going to do. The investment, it's kind of like I'm more active on that one because I feel like we could get the money in more quickly. The white labelling, I feel like that is a six to 12 month realistically ROI in terms of getting a customer on board. Although we have already got some letters of intent. But like I said, they're not really worth much. And then the consumer sales is the one that we can influence or I can influence the quickest to get results. And so that's kind of where um, I'm trying to put more effort, which is why I'm trying to just get the positioning clearer and I guess more focused so that hopefully we can appeal to more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And like we said, though, thinly spread, though, right? So yeah. it's like where to focus. So with the um, with the investment side of things, then what have you got coming up for that? Are you attending any more pitching events? Uh, any, anything else on the books? Um, I just had someone contact me this morning about a pitching event, but I don't, I don't do play to pitch. I just don't agree with those. No. Um, so um, I'm. I haven't got any other events coming up. I've got a couple of investor meetings next week um, and I've got quite a lot of people to follow up. So, and I had two meetings last week in Milan, so I've got to follow follow those up as well. Mm. The pitching, I find it's good, but it's very hard. I've never had the right investors in the room. Well, yeah. maybe that I have known. Um, and so it's good for exposure, it's good for practice, it's good because other people watch the videos and come back to you. Um, what, do you mean, what do you mean by that? You never had the right investors in the room? It's very hard to choose. You never really know who's going to be in the room in terms of investors. Like, we're very quite, really quite, we need someone that's into health tech, um, medical devices type area that's willing to wait for their money. Their fund has to be in the early stages we're not going to repay money until we'd have to be in a seven to ten year fund really if you're a vc um angels though actually i tell a lie i did do a pitch last year um for three minutes no slides at the end of the thing i came off stage and this girl came straight up and went i want to invest does happen but um yeah, it just uh, it's 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 harder to you don't really know who's in the room, so it's harder to tailor, tailor things for that person depending on what you think what they're going to be interested in. So mm. you can do that not broad, but um, you, you don't know which bit of your business is going to excite them. So you can't yeah. cover it all off and then hope that they come and chat to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, um, what are you? Where are you based in the UK again? Are you based in London? No, I'm in Brighton at the moment. Oh, I'm based... where, do you, where do you live normally? Sorry? I'm based wherever the free accommodation is. Oh, okay, right. So you haven't got um, a solid residence yet since being back from, from Sydney. Are you planning on on, on getting somewhere um, permanent at some point? Um, um, yes, but I can't do that until I've got some money. Right, yeah, yeah, that helps. <laughs> well, um, you know, the reason I... Who's listening wants to offer me their house for <laughs> that would be amazing you, you need a pitch deck for that um yeah you need to give a compelling a compelling case um no the reason I was asking is because if there's uh, an event that i volunteer and actually help with um in london called the the the, the london startup scene um there's actually one 
Thursday, which I'm going to, and then there's another one at the end of the month as well. He's doing two this month because he missed last month. Um, they're like some of the best events, not only because of their like the fun level of them is just unreal, um, but just the value of them is huge. Like, you know, an enormous crowd. Uh, you you pay whatever you want to go in. You could literally pay a penny. It's like you 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 volunteer whatever you want to pay when you you, you get a ticket online. Um, there's always investors in the room. They have interesting speakers. There's a kind of open mic approach to pitching. So you put your name in a hat. If you're picked up, then you go on stage. Um, done by Vasily. Is it Vasilius? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, do you know him? Yeah, I've been to one of his events before, and I pitched before there, and I oh, had up to me afterwards and chat to me. She seemed really interested. Connected on LinkedIn. Oh, that was the one then, where you had that person come up. No, different one. Oh, different one. Oh, okay events but the other first person actually gave me the money this girl didn't even accept my linkedin invitation oh dear okay <laughs> but yeah so you, know, you should definitely come again um how long ago was that what, what, that, you went oh, that was a while ago it was in this horrible hot sweaty basement yeah yeah it's changed so so the, yeah, the, yeah it, the, the the most recent venue which is now the permanent venue so much better in fact a lot of the comments from people who attended were like this is the best venue because we're not sweating we're not on fire like it was the biggest complaint was just the heat of the last one was just uh was nuts um but it's still a great turnout still a lot of fun but yeah the, the heat was unbearable especially the height of summer being being in that basement um but yeah now the venue is fantastic it's multiple floors um yeah really really quite spacious and yeah definitely definitely should come down and now he's getting these guest speakers to come in as well and talk about um, you know, like exited founders talking about their journey and like all this kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, he's got someone coming down, funnily enough, doing like a um, uh, pulling apart people's decks. That's kind of his thing. So he, that's his specialty. So he's coming on stage and doing that live in front of the audience. And yes, yeah, so just really interesting stuff. I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, Vasily is a lovely guy too. Um, but there's just something about that atmosphere there, which is just really positive and everyone's wanting to help each other. And um, introduce you to people and you know what i mean it's 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 really i think it's one of the more positive communities that there is out there obviously i'm slightly biased because I'm, I'm i'm involved somewhat but i chose to be involved and volunteer to be involved for that reason so i highly recommend that one um yeah and then like you said there's a lot of other events as well but a lot of them are also you know the pay to play kind of uh thing which is which is interesting i have mixed feelings about that but um but yeah i know i got emailed yesterday saying oh you're a finalist in this um pitch competition mm. you know we'll you know we'll let you know but the third next thing you need to do is buy a ticket to the event right yeah <laughs> yeah for a thousand pounds yeah yeah well you know the, these people have to make money as well so that's why i've got mixed feelings about these things you know because like, they, they also need to pay for the venues and this that and the other but then at the same time there are ways of getting sponsorship for them so you know i have mixed i have very mixed feelings on these things like i, I kind of see both sides as as is often the case with most of the things that i deal with trying trying to try and look at it from all perspectives but um well look as we're coming to the end i wanted to end with um with kind of how i traditionally end these these um these conversations by asking um and look, it's been full of, you know, insights already into, you know, your journey and like what you've been up to and 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 your ups and downs and so on. So, so clearly lots of um, that I think people can take away from it who are maybe in the same position as you as you were just about to start their, their, their sort of founder and entrepreneurial journey. But um, it would be really interesting to hear sort of very directly if you have any sort of specific advice or tips to those um, those listening who might be in that position um, or in a similar position to you. What? 
what would you say to that? Would you have anything that comes to mind or any things that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, one thing I always say to people is ask for help um, because I found, well, in Australia and in the UK, people are very, very willing to help you. Um, And it's kind of seen as a bit of a, you know, as you're getting going up the up the ladder up the, along the journey, you help people who are earlier, and then it gets repaid. It kind of gets passed back. Pay it forward, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and I think even just reaching out to people that you know you don't know, it's uh, all people that you've perceived to be there's no way they'd have any time for you. I think that um, admitting that you need help and then actually reaching out and asking for it is is like the probably the biggest thing that's going to get you forward take your business forward um and then the other thing is i mean it's a bit of a tried and like everyone says this but it's all about finding your people and surrounding yourself with those people because um I have like this amazing group I'm in on WhatsApp and these ladies and when I'm having the uh, days, I will go and say, oh my God, whinge, whinge, whinge. And people will always comment or say, call me or, you know, and I know that I can pick up the phone to any of them and I know they would take my call and they would chat through. That's fantastic. And I think you need, you need that as well, because especially for a solo founder, it gets really lonely and you feel like I've got no one to talk to no one to help me with this I don't know what to do or I know for me particularly I like to process things by talking about them and so it's I mean obviously now I'm cat sitting I can talk to the cat but you don't get much response <laughs> and you got well today you had me as well so hopefully <laughs> it's helped you somewhat yes but uh yeah you're definitely more chatty than the cat <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I don't purr as much as well um yeah, that's good. They're really good advice. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's, um, to be honest, it seems to be like the number one thing when speaking with founders that's always brought up is the solidarity element and and how that can be both detrimental and positive in some respects too. Um, but yeah, it, it can have it, you know, when the lows are low, they're low, right? And so that's really important. Um, there are a couple of people that I've thought of uh, during our conversation today that I think I need to introduce you to. Um, you know, some other people in similar spaces, some of it further along, some early on. Um, I'll, I'll introduce you via LinkedIn, have a chat with them. They're lovely people. Um, you know, again, towards that effort of just connecting people, helping, paying it forward. And I think you and I should have a pro bono session too, um, you know, if you're up for it. Um, you know, like I mentioned very early on when we first spoke, it's something I offer everyone, um, my guests and and founders, all over the world and entrepreneurs all over the world, I offer pro bono one hour advisory sessions to just rip things apart, talk them, throw ideas at the wall, see what sticks, that kind of stuff. Because sometimes just having a different perspective can be helpful and uh, and I want to help. So, you know, that paying it forward thing, right? That's what we should all do. So, um, so that's my, my way of contributing to the, to the ecosystem, let's say positively. So, so yeah, well, look, I'll let you go. I'll let you um, enjoy your time with a cat. Are you going swimming today or is it? have you been swimming today already or are you planning no, on doing that later because, um i knew we were videoing this and right. there's no hair dryer and ah, I'm okay it's about how i look but i was just like you didn't want like up there yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, i'm gonna go swimming um the sun's out so i'm gonna go swimming uh, this afternoon and Lovely. 
yeah. It's, not, it's definitely not Sydney. It's brown. You can't see anything. I couldn't do it, honestly. It's too cold. I, I you know, lived in New Spawn now for eight years. I've never stepped foot in that sea. And it's not going to happen. It's too cold for me. <laughs> it's like 18 degrees in the water. It's really not that bad. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> but enjoy your swim and uh, and and your your cat sitting. And um, yeah, like I said, I'll make some introductions. We'll we'll catch up offline. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, keep up the great work. It's been lovely. Uh, thanks so much for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been lovely chatting. And yeah, look forward to uh, chatting more. Great stuff. All right. Get in touch with me and about any fertility things or um businessy things all of my details are on the website so do just yeah go to the and, content yeah and your details your link to your linkedin profile on the website will be in the description of this episode as well so people can check that out there brilliant okay. all right bye. thanks so much take care bye. see you soon bye bye thank you for watching and or listening please like subscribe and join the conversation in the comments below